When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Mark McGettigan, aka the FPL General. I've had three top 500 finishes during my time as a Fantasy Premier League manager, and I want to help you to be the very best fantasy manager you can be. So join me every week as I share my tips, tricks, and insight on the Athletics FPL podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, and listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Ian Irving and incredibly, we're just hours away now from the new EFL season. 72 clubs are back in action this weekend, so a lot to get our heads around, especially if you're still on holiday or just swept up with the Euros still. Over the course of this podcast, then we're going to focus in on a handful of the big stories from across the divisions to get you right up to speed just in time for Friday night's championship kickoff between Huddersfield and Burnley. And speaking of Burnley, we've got the Athletics Burnley man Andy Jones with us, Elias Burke, who follows both West Brom and Derby these days, plus staff writer Nick Miller is on hand as well. Hello to all three. Um, It's still July. Why on earth are we previewing the season, Nick? (laughs) Yeah, it's obscenely early, isn't it? I mean, I I don't think I'm quite ready. You know, obviously got the Euros going on at the moment, so you've had you've had your fix of football. So I haven't had quite had the sort of the summer of starvation to you know make make me really get up for it. But it does seem absolutely absurd, but in some ways fitting for what's going to be a, a, for the for the championship uh, anyway. A fairly absurd season with the kind of massive World Cup break in the middle, which we you know we're going to get to later on. But I'm not ready. I hope some of the most of the clubs involved are a little bit more prepared than I am. Elias? Yeah, I think it's even stranger when you're working in football as well because you, you, you're starting in, in pre-season, which in in this case started in like late June, which was just so strange. Um, just over a month, really, until the football stopped and then we started pre-season again. And obviously the transfer market and the, all the activity had to happen so much earlier this season to try and get players in for pre-season and whatnot. So yeah, it's just kind of expedited absolutely everything. But yeah, as Nick mentions, it's all due to the World Cup. Yeah, and Burnley, Andy, have had so many changes in this short space of time, but they've wasted no time in getting on with it. Vincent Company signed about 20,000 footballers so far, hasn't he? He's been very busy. Yeah, it feels like that. It feels like they've been sort of linked with every single player in the world at this point. Um, sort of every single day, it's it's another five or six random players from, from around the world. And I mean, I'm certainly ready for the new season because I'm, I'm hopefully looking forward to watching Burnley sort of win games. Just that for the last two years in the Premier League, that's it's been a struggle for them. Um, so I'm sort of with it being this this sort of new era, this excitement. You know, it does feel sort of fresh, and I'm looking forward to it. But as you say, it's it's probably as a new manager coming in, who needs to completely reshape your squad. Uh, it's probably the worst sort of summer to ever come in, with it being so short. And I mean, Burnley have lost double figures of players, and 
brought eight in, but they're, they're still not done. You know, it could be 12, 13 by the end of the window. So trying to blend that together in four or five weeks with only, you know, a couple of preseason games is is probably as, as tough as it gets when you, you, you're stepping into a new job. Andy, I, just, I was just like curious about um, how the transfers are kind of working at Burnley. Do you know how much involvement and you know how much choice the company has got with the players that are, are coming in because i mean i know a couple of players have come from from belgium but looking down the list of players that have come in they look kind of look like signings that would make sense for you know a, a championship club um and with company having you know been working in belgium for the last couple of years you wouldn't have thought he'd be kind of entirely across you know the nuances of the football league um, a massive input. I think he's he's very much the, the guy leading it. I think ALK, when he came in, he sort of completely revamped the way Burnley were looking at players, recruiting, looking at sort of the data. And, and Comrie is a very, very detailed manager. I mean, you're seeing in, in the interviews of all, basically all the players you've signed that they have referenced how much of him talking to them and sort of... So it's not like, oh yeah, we'll bring you in and you know it'll be great and all this. He's... He, he tells them exactly how he wants them to play, how the role he's got for them, and how he sees them developing over a number of years. Basically, they've got a the model is is to sort of have a big list of players, and then I think whittle that down. And company is very much at the centre of that. And you see that. I mean, he's he's gone back to Manchester City for a couple of players, um, so he will obviously have known them or have been able to speak to people. Uh, Josh Cullen, for example, was was so important for his Anderlecht side, so that made tons of sense. Um, and then you are looking at sort of the the League One players, so Scott Twine and Luke McNally are two of the players who you look at and think they could, you know, they're ready to make that next step. And, and Bernie have sort of have probably been been looking at that and then gone to company. Um, and he's certainly been sort of the guy who, who's had the last word on, on, on everything. In terms of the finances then of Burnley, there's been lots of coverage on that, of course, since relegation. Lots to read about that on The Athletic, as always. How precarious is it now, considering the changes that have been made and the money that's been spent? How much are they gambling on bouncing straight back, in your opinion? Well, it's, it's always a gamble, isn't it? But Burnley seem to be doing it in, well, a relatively smart way. They, they obviously have, you know, debt, um, that, that and a, a significant portion of that needed to be to be repaid upon relegation to so that sort of £65 million debt that they, they took out. There's a couple of ways you can get around that. So there's obviously using the parachute payments to, you know, to to pay that off, or you can sort of look to refinance your loan in, in a certain way, um, which I think ALK have at least explored. I don't know if, if that's still the plan. But in, ter- in terms of the business, they've reduced the wages dramatically. A lot of the big earners have left. So you look at sort of the Tarkovskis, the Ben Mees, Sad to see them go, and that you can't. It's tough to replace them, but you know, bringing sort of the, the younger players in, you know, an Egan Riley, for example, is not going to be, you know, on the same wages as Luke McNally is. Is not going to be on the same wages as those players. So they've reduced the wage bill, um, and sort of in terms of the transfer fees that they're paying, they've looked at the loan markets and what they've recouped so far. And Nick Pope and Nathan Collins, you're looking at about thirty plus million, and they've only spent around ten. They, I think it's under 15 million. So they sort of they seem to be doing it in a smart way and in a sort of somewhat sustainable way. But I think there is that pressure that they do need to get back up sort of as quickly as possible because as those parachute payments run out, that's when the problems sort of come. So that it's like a two-year window. I think that's the plan. Um, if, if maybe it's not this season, 
gives a year to blend the squad and then go again next season when you've developed the number of the players, the younger players who come in. So it is it is a little bit precarious, but I think what the changes they've made have made it more manageable. You you mentioned a couple of the, the players that have um, they've left, and obviously there's been a, a reasonable squad turnover. What's the latest, as you kind of understand it, about some of the other kind of biggish names that have been linked with moves away? Obviously, um, Maxwell Corne has been the obvious one, and yeah. Veghorst. And I think that I mean, so so Veghorst has, has gone out on loan. Um, it's still unclear if there's an option to buy. It's sort of conflicting. Um, depends who you speak to, basically, on, on whether that is the case. Because Burnley, from their perspective, can see him if they go up, for example. Can he be past that that Premier League squad? The World Cup being middle of the season has a lot to do with why he wanted to to depart. Max O'Connor, I think the expectation is he still is going to leave. It's it's very uncertain as to where. I mean, there's a lot of interest from Premier League clubs, but also abroad. Um, he's obviously got that release clause. It seems to be a little bit of a quieter period for Burnley in terms of incumbents. They've still got plenty of work to do. I mean, Callum O'Hare was was sort of the main one. So it's one of them. The squad that they've got now could still look significantly different by the end of the window. I mean, Dwight McNeil maybe as well, depending on the interest and if, if that's firmed up. But it's difficult to see anyone else unless it's a deal that suits Burnley and they don't want to stand in people's way if a Premier League offer comes along, for example. A little bit like Nathan Collins because they didn't want to sell him because he, he would have been a, such an important part of the promotion push. Um, but the money which could go up to around 30 million, uh, I think with add-ons and sell-on potentially from Wolves, sort of from a long-term perspective. And they, and Collins wanting to play in the Premier League just made sense. Of course, Burnley aren't the only team in the Championship looking to get up into the Premier League this season. You said about the disrupted season with the World Cup, but also I think how competitive it's going to be again. is It's going to be absolutely fascinating to see who can make a push. Obviously, the three teams dropping down from the Premier League automatically have that ambition. But Elias, your new role covering West Brom, they also have an ambition as well and they've got a manager with plenty of Premier League experience and plenty of experience of getting a team into the Premier League. But at last season's last check, it didn't really feel like progress, did it? No, and it, it was a difficult season for West Brom last year. I mean, it was their worst in over 20 years. They haven't finished outside of the playoffs or been in the Premier League in over 20 years. So to finish 10th, you know, for a team that was so fancied to compete again for promotion was was really poor. You know, but they've strengthened this summer. They're definitely in a better place than they were at the end of last season. So they made three really big signings. Uh, Akayu Kuslu, who signs from Turkey, 39 cap Turkey international, joins from Salto Vigo on a, as a free agent, you know, adds a lot of kind of experience and pedigree into West Brom's midfield. Something that they've kind of missed really um, in recent years, proper quality in that position. And then in attacking areas, which was a big department that they were really kind of lacking last year. They brought in John Swift from Reading. Championship fans will know he's one of the best creators, one of the best number 10s in the league. And he can really kind of knit things together in that position as a number 10 because that's something that West Brom don't really have otherwise. And then also Jed Wallace, who's another player that Championship fans will be very familiar with. One of the best players in his position. Um, someone that consistently racks up high goals and assist numbers in the Championship. Someone that Millwall fans were really disappointed to lose, obviously. And bringing those three players into a West Brom team obviously strengthens it a lot. They look decent in pre-season. They picked up some good results. Um, yeah, definitely in a better place. There's a freshness to the way you're even speaking about it. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I feel invigorated because last year it just wasn't good. It started with Valerian Ismail and it all kind of started in such excitement and everyone thought it was going to be 
this new kind of footballing revolution that West Brom have been crying out for for so many seasons. Obviously, you know, you look back to the years with Tony Pulis and then the Pardews and the Darren Moores. It was all kind of a similar style of football. It was a bit different with Billich, but it kind of didn't work in the Premier League. So Val kind of brought this new style of football, this attritional, this high intensity, high pressing, you know, all the kind of buzzwords that get football fans really excited <laughs> nowadays. And it just, you know, it didn't work. You know, it really, really worked at the start of the season, but it seemed like players tired out and stuff. And by January, February time, West Brom were on a, you know, falling off a cliff really. But as, as I say, yeah, there's three new signings that make so much sense in terms of what West Brom need. And, you know, you just hope that they can kind of knit things together and West Brom can start to play a different kind of football because at times last season, the Hawthorns was quite a depressing place to be because, I mean, for one, the football wasn't great, but the fans just really kind of weren't connecting with the manager or the players either. How much faith do you think the club and the fans have in Steve Bruce? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, this will be his fifth time getting promoted if it works. And that's, you know, in terms of active managers in the championship, that's one of the most impressive CVs. So you can kind of look at that and point to a bit of encouragement on that sense. But at the same time, you know, he's managed over a thousand games in club management. Yeah, It's a really, really long career for him. And you'd kind of question whether the fire still burns for him. I mean, he certainly says all the right things in press conferences and stuff. And he seems like he wants to, you know, this is his kind of final play at winning promotion with a team that's really fancied for it. Obviously, his stock's kind of down in recent years. Not particularly successful time at Villa. Similar thing with Sheffield Wednesday and the Newcastle time. You know, the football wasn't great there, etc. So there's definitely some question marks. And obviously, if he would have came in last season and, you know, delivered on all the promises and you know, brought exciting football back to the Hawthorns, etc., it would have been different, but it didn't happen. So he's definitely coming in to this year now with a point to prove. But, you know, it's not the best kind of relationship at the moment. OK, be interesting situation to keep an eye on as the season progresses. Of course, winning football matches helps anything like that, doesn't it? Certainly. Uh, let's take a look at Hull then as well as another example, Nick. There's uh, an interesting article, shall we say, on The Athletic at the moment that's uh, been written by Phil Buckingham about Hull. The introduction uh, to the actual, um, the actual piece itself tells the story in a way because it is such a mix of influences on this team. Uh, but another side who seem like, in their words, who are planning for the Premier League, not dreaming of it. There's a gamble in there as well, Nick, isn't there? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think Hull are going to be, I think by a distance, the most interesting side in the Championship this season because they're just one of those teams where, you know, you obviously expect West Brom and Burnley and, you know, Norwich to be definitely challenging at the top, but you just have no idea what's going to happen with Hull. They're, as you kind of said, that they're, their vice chairman, um, Tan Kessler, uh, basically laying out playoff positions as a minimum for a team that finished 19th last season, which yeah. which I, I mean, I, I, I kind of quite like that later on in the interview, he said something along the long lines of, you know, 12th, 14th, 15th, it doesn't matter, it's the same thing. Why, you know, why set sort of low goals for yourself if you're just going to finish somewhere between sort of ninth and who cares? So <laughs> it's the 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 new newish owner. He's, he's obviously been in there since been involved since January. Ajinalaju. He's a, a, an interesting character. If you haven't read that article by Phil and some of the other things that Phil has written about Hull, I urge you to do it because he's this kind of fascinating guy who was he was essentially a sports reporter in Turkey, and he has kind of made his fortune in the media industry. 
Um, he hosts various kind of slightly odd <coughs> programs in, uh, in in Turkey, I think, and he's obviously come in and made quite an impression. He's sacked Grant McCann within, the, I think, his first like three or four days of being in charge and appointed show to Ravaladze, and you know results were slightly patchy, but you know, and 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 the, the team as well is going to be sort of quite significantly changed. Um, they've sold a couple of key players, George Honeyman and Keen Lewis Potter. Um, in particular, and brought in some players who, you know, we just we we're not really sure how they're going to go. So yeah, fascinating team. It certainly is. I mean, even the introduction, like I mentioned before, what do you get when you cross an Iranian, a Ghanaian, an Ivorian, a Colombian, and two Turks plus a Portuguese man and an Englishman? Well, a ticket to the Premier League, Hull City Hope. Uh, <laughs> even just reading that hooked me straight away. I was I was hooked and reading the rest of the articles. I, I suppose with this as well, Andy, it it just shows what Burnley are up against dropping down. If anyone thinks it's an automatic return for a team like Burnley, there is lots of ambition around this division, always. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost sort of, well, it re-emphasised the excitement, really, because it is, I think, really unpredictable this season. I don't, you know, the, the way Fulham sort of stormed the league last season, I just don't see that being the case. I think it's going to be a lot tighter, I think, because you, you look at a number of teams, sort of like Borough, for example, and like to Coventry, who seem to seem to be doing the right things. Um, so it's it's going to be really difficult, and I, I struggle to see, even though that there is the parachute payment advantage for, for the sides coming down. I, I do struggle to see because I think all of them have got question marks. The three coming down, Burnley have obviously completely revamped everything. I sort of expect them to start slowly and maybe. You know, build and and then sort of hit hit the stride later on in the season because of the amount of new faces coming in. Watford, you never know. To be honest, you know, new manager, home <laughs> really last. So many questions, and then can Norwich do what they have done the last couple of times they've been down there? I, I don't know. I think it it does seem a lot more or very competitive this season, and and it's going to be a battle for all three to make sure they are you know or or in and around the, the right place to to get back up. Sunderland are, of course, another club who are back in the Championship from the other way, not dropping down this time, but coming up from League One. Nancy Frostick has been keeping an eye on their preparations for their first season back in the Championship. And could a back-to-back promotion be on the cards for them this year? I think Sunderland are going to be um, a really interesting prospect, actually, this season, just because it felt like, and has always felt like, you know, getting out of League One is going to be the main hurdle for them if they're going to get back to kind of where they were in the Premier League. And and that's not to say that the championship isn't, but I feel like you do tend to get more of a shot at ebbs and flows of, of form in uh, in the championship. So I can see them with the signings they've made and kind of the momentum they've built now, you know, not being like outright um, leaders or anything, because I think you're always going to get those teams with the parachute payments coming down and dominating. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them mount together a good um, bit of form and, and sneak into the playoffs and then once they're there you know their support is immense so um, there could be a real danger to to other teams if they get in the playoffs. Nick yeah Nancy mentioned parachute payments there and also Andy of course talked about them before how much of an influence have you seen them having on the championship in recent times is, is that been a key reason why clubs are so able like Norwich to just bounce straight back? Yeah I mean obviously it's a it's a a massive factor, and uh, although it won't be an influence on this season, I think we're, that there have been uh, reports coming that, that you know the, the, the parachute payment system is going to be reformed to give relegated teams a little less an advantage. But on the other hand, look at last season. Although Fulham and Bournemouth 
did go up, the two, two of the bigger teams that you would expect. Most of the teams in the playoffs, you'd never have expected to get in there, certainly after the f- first few weeks of, of last season. I mean, Sheffield United, probably the, of, the, of the four, um, were the most predictable. But the other three, Forest, Huddersfield and Luton Town, you know, that the, 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 no one would have picked those teams, certainly after Forest's start to the season. Yeah, um, quite. Uh, so, so I think that there, there is a kind of huge... A huge opportunity for some of these teams, like as Nancy mentioned, Sunderland and, and the whole, as we were talking about before, to kind of take over them by surprise and sneak in there. So, parachute payments obviously have a kind of huge impact on the resources, but as we've seen, not all teams use those resources particularly wisely. So, that in itself doesn't guarantee any promotion or success of any kind. Yeah, I suppose the other factor this year as well in the season starting so early is the fact that the transfer window is open for so long at the start of this campaign. I mean, when you look at uh, some seasons, maybe there's two or three matches that are affected directly, but this time around it's a whole month's worth of football or over a month's worth of football. Elias, what effect do you think that's going to have on the Championship? There's going to be a lot of managers feeling a little indecisive about their teams as the season kicks off. It's going to be interesting to see how it kind of changes the dynamic for managers really in terms of you know if, if the season just doesn't start exactly how they thought it might have done whether they'll just get itchy fingers and or itch feet sorry and um, or both yeah well they'll definitely yeah. spend then and um, <laughs> and and kind of go straight into the market we had one for West Brom in this aspect also as well because they signed two of their best kind of signings um this summer before before pre-season and then hasn't been much. They've signed Newcastle since, and and now it's you know, almost a month now until the until the end of the transfer window. It's a case of how how does the dynamic look towards the end of the transfer window once they get a proper look at their squad and stuff. There's a few areas that they're kind of looking at strengthening, but whether that will happen now or later on in the window, you know, kind of remains to be seen. I guess it all kind of points towards how how they how they play at the start of the season. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting kind of dynamic in, in terms of how the results kind of inform the transfer market activity. Yeah, I, th- I think from from Burnley's perspective, there's there's positives and negatives to it. I think because you've got so many games, you can the company, you know, for example, he can you know identify the areas that he still needs to strengthen, but also he will be able to start looking and blending the team to see you know how it's all coming together. But I think also. It was put to me sort of, I think Burnley and a number of clubs probably in terms of the loan markets, there's always that problem, isn't there, where, where managers look at players who, who they might think they're going to use, whereas when you've got seven games in the first month, probably by that point you're going to realise, you know, by game four or five, if, especially for sort of Premier League players, I guess, sort of those on the, on the peripherals of squads, maybe the younger players, are they in the thoughts or not? And that might make them more available in this you know in this window rather than rather than it gets to sort of you know you miss the boat because the managers are still not sure if you've only got a couple of games in August for example and then it gets to October and they haven't been used and then you're looking at a January loan for example so that that might benefit um but I think that you also as as Elliot said you, you see the squad you see your squad weaknesses probably quite quickly um and that will probably influence how much managers then look to do after that, uh, you know, after those first few games. Nick, I suppose the flip side of this as well is that managers are going to be worried if their players make a strong start to the season, they're then going to be targeted by other teams, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, definitely. And, and I think in the last few years, we've, we have seen the, 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 you know, certain players 
who have made a if, if we're talking just you know Premier League teams swoop for the uh, best talent in the Championship. There have been quite a few players in recent years. Think of people like Jared Bowen and Matty Cash, and you know most of the Brentford team who. Have shown that the the that it's perfectly capable to make a step up from the championship to the Premier League. So I wonder whether those examples will make clubs in the Premier League feel a bit more confident about signing uh, the best players from the championship. Just on the the kind of loan thing as well, we know that typically Premier League clubs like to kind of leave it to as late as possible to to um, loan their better players to the championship, just so they know whether they they need them or not themselves this is kind of you know idle speculation but I wonder whether we get to the end of the transfer window which you know end of August start of September whether Premier League clubs will think that because the World Cup break is coming in what is it second second week in November they will look at that and think well effectively we're only that this this player is probably only going to get two months of football before the break comes whether they will then think it's actually more effective from our point of view to just keep them with us until January uh, and we can train them up and we can improve them that way. And then in January, you'll see a lot more um, young, promising Premier League players coming out on loan. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Okay, let's take a look at Middlesbrough then. That's a side we've not spoken about yet. Of course, Chris Wilder in charge of them, another manager with experience of taking a team from the Championship up into the Premier League. Here's editor Craig Chisnell, who certainly thinks they've got a chance. I like the look of Middlesbrough to win the Championship. Chris Wilder has assembled a really good squad there. Um, he's added to the experience he's already got in the likes of Johnny Howson and Duncan Watmore with the arrival of Zach Steffen in goal. And that's a really shrewd addition because Chris Wilder really didn't fancy uh, Joe Lumley towards the end of last season. Um, Marcus Fors will be a really good signing up, up front. And I just think he knows the level. And in, in Isaiah Jones, he's got a crackerjack of a right back, right wing back, who will be perfect for that system. I expect them to finish in the top two. Nick, that's quite an... Uh... Quite a prediction from Craig. We're having to make predictions in uh, July now, aren't we, like we've been talking about. But um, what do you think about the chances of that being correct? Chris Wilder's certainly a manager with a, a growing reputation still uh, in the Championship, despite all the great things he's done so far. Yeah, they're an interesting team this year, Middlesbrough. I mean, a lot of the faith seems to be in uh, Chris Wilder because of his reputation and, uh, you know, he certainly, when he came in last season, he started out very well. Their results tailed off 
towards the end of the season, I th- which it was possibly more to do with that they had an absolutely insane schedule in the last few weeks of the season. I think they had to play about nine games in the last month of the, the season, which was just ludicrous. And it's, so it's no real surprise that they tailed off, but they still finished seventh in seventh place. Um, I think the big concern with Middlesbrough is goals. I mean, they didn't they didn't score too many last season, and as Craig said, there they brought in Marcus Falls, who would be a you know a, a, a great addition up there. I think their top scorer last season was Duncan Watmore, who was injured for for half the season. The I suppose the other concern about um, uh, over Middlesbrough at the moment is um, uh, Marcus Tavernier's future because he has uh, he's one of their key players last season. Um, he's heavily linked with Bournemouth at the moment. Chris Wilder said after, I think it was after one of their friendly games the other day, well, I don't know, your guess is as good as mine about what's going to happen to, to him. So it's perfectly possible that by the time you hear this podcast, then he might be on his way out and uh, Tavernier might be going to uh, to Bournemouth. That's a, a kind of a, a bit of a question mark over how they will do. But yeah, like Craig says, they, they, they've uh, Zach Steffens will be a really good signing in goal. Um, hopefully having half a season with Wilder will kind of get them up to speed a little bit there and yeah certainly of the teams that were in the championship last season and kind of challenging for promotion they're certainly I think the the, the one that are most likely to be up there again this season yeah, Zach Steffen is an interesting sign. I didn't know clubs who weren't Burnley were allowed to sign Manchester City players in the Championship <laughs> this summer, to be fair, but there you go. Um, Andy and Elias, I know that you'll pick out your own teams that you cover, uh, tipping them for success, but I wonder if there's anyone else who's caught your eye um, and maybe won't need you to go as strong as Craig did in terms of tipping a team to finish in the top two, but who do you think is as close to a surefire pick to come back? I'll come to you, Andy, first. Oh, Nah, it's just, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it is tricky one. We mentioned it before in terms of that. I think it is really difficult to pinpoint sort of a team. Are you going to sit on the fence here, Andy? Well, <laughs> it's just loads. I mean, at my in the round table, we did my dark horse sort of pick for, for playoffs was was Coventry. Um, I think they had a really good season last season. Mark Robbins, you know, has done really well. Um and I just, I just like what they've done this summer as well. It seems everything sort of seems quite sensible in terms of in, in how they've recruited. So they're a team that I'm sort of, I mean, I could look like an absolute idiot, um, you know, in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, th- there's just loads. I think Sheff- Sheffield United, again, are, are probably, you know, going to be strong. Um, I, I, I mentioned Butter before as well myself. And I think they're, they look, you know, really good as well. Um, but there's loads of, I think that that's the thing. There's just loads of really good teams um, who could be really, really good, and then and just be be able to to not to not the above everyone else. But yeah, so maybe Sheffield United is is, is one I'll, I'll I'll go for, and, and Coventry is a sort of a dark horse playoff pick. Yeah, in the in the round table, I went with I went with Swansea as my dark horse, which might be a bit of a kind of surprise because they weren't particularly good last year. But when they've got a strike win, Joel Piro, I mean, he's one of the best drags in the league, and he's so young. Obviously, his future's been kind of linked away also to the Premier League, so we'll have to see how that one kind of evolves over the transfer window. But there's there'll be no surprise from from people that know about the Championship if he scores more than twenty two goals. I think that he got last year, and that's enough really to fire any team towards playoffs or promotion. So I like Swansea as a dark horse. And in terms of teams that you kind of really expect to be up there, you know, it seems a bit kind of typical really in in terms of the Championship because that's what they do. But Norwich, I mean, Norwich go down and come <laughs> back up. I mean, that's just kind of what they do. And obviously, it's going to be a bit different now because they don't have Daniel Farker, so the kind of dynamic might change a little bit. And 
it's going to be an interesting one with Pukki as well to see if he can go down and score those goals again. Um, I think that's going to be a really th- kind of interesting one to watch. But um, in terms of in terms of the manager as well, Dean Smith, he's very experienced. He's won promotion from the championship before. He's a very good manager. They've got good players. So you'd have to kind of fancy Norwich to be kind of up there towards the end of the season. Yeah, you both mentioned the EFL roundtable piece that's on The Athletic at the moment. A brilliant read, as always, to get everyone's opinions and all the different opinions that come with covering Championship League One and League Two football because, like you've all been mentioning, it's such a competitive environment in all of these leagues. League One then, Elias. Uh, Derby, there's so many teams, again, when you look at that division. Well-supported sides, big clubs in terms of reputation. And Derby are just joining that pool. What do you think it's going to be like for them? It's going to feel like a win not starting on minus 24 for a start, I think. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of... I think there's a lot of excitement actually around Derby at the moment. Obviously, last season was so difficult. They were in administration. It was so hard for the supporters and stuff. And obviously not being able to bring in players. You know, obviously they would have they would have actually stayed up if not for the points deductions, which kind of shows the quality that they've got in the team. And there haven't been a great deal of departures. Obviously, Tom Lawrence has left for Rangers, which was a big one. A few other departures as well. But the manager, kind of kept, the manager, of course, yeah. But Liam Rossini did so much work yeah. on the training field that you kind of realise maybe they haven't actually lost that much in terms of how they'll play. Maybe they lose a kind of figurehead, but in terms of what they've got on the training pitch, you kind of think that they might not have lost much. And they've made 12 additions as well. So similar thing to Burnley. It's a kind of case of, you know, they might not start flying out of the blocks really because they've got so many players to bed in, but they've got added so much quality. I mean, Conor Horahan, who's playing in the playoff final a couple of months early, earlier to now and has played in the Premier League recently. James Chester, a similar thing. Internationals, David McGoldrick, they bring Premier League and Championship experience. Obviously, they're kind of on the downward trajectory, which kind of makes sense as they, they're joining a League One club. There's so much really to be excited about. So much quality, so much youth, pedigree. Um, yeah, I think Derby fans are really excited at the moment. There's obviously a kind of theme with a lot of these players, you know, Chester McGoldrick, Hurahan, all, the, all those players, experienced players who have spent most of have spent most of their career in the higher divisions. How much of that kind of signing policy has is is like the the way that Liam Rossini and the club want to go and how much is just kind of driven by pragmatism in that, that these were the you know these are free agents these are the players that they can sign in the kind of position that they're in obviously it makes sense that players of, of that kind of stature won't you know they're, they're not really attracting so much attention from the championship um so they kind of make themselves available for league 1 but last season it was so important for derby to to have more experience i mean they had such a young squad they had so many young players and so many academy graduates that adding people like you know players like mcgoldrick and chester and horahan even last season would have made so much of a difference but now they get them in league 1 where that quality is obviously going to tell so much as well so i think it's been a big thing for Rossinia um in in the market he's also signed some young players as well so it's not just all about the kind of experience and the champion and the premier league pedigree international pedigree also um but yeah you're right experience is is a massive thing um but also just to kind of help the youth because there's so many good young players at derby jason knight for one who's a republic of ireland international max bird he was kind of knocking on the england under 21s doors like last season and louis sibley who's going to be a really interesting one as well because he kind of arrived on the scene with so much excitement. He scored a hat-trick in one of his first games in the championship, but he hasn't quite lived up to that really. And it's going to be interesting to see whether a move down to League One really kind of reignites his career again. Who are Derby's main rivals this year, do you think? 
I think I, I fancy MK Dons to be pretty good. I think Liam Manning's a really good coach uh, with lots of potential to improve. He's really young, mid thirties, and you know, kind of in a similar vein as you know, if teams start really well, then Premier League teams might look to poach players. Championship clubs and Premier League clubs even might look to try and poach their coach yeah. as well. So I hope that they don't start too well for for their sake. Uh, obviously, they you know the couple of big departures in Scott Twine in Darling. But I expect Moisa, who's you know a really good player at that level, and Will Grigg, who scored goals, to kind of pick up that goal-scoring mantle. As you mentioned before, so many big clubs in, in League One. So you're looking at Bolton, Portsmouth, Sheffield Wednesday, with hopes of kind of being really good this season. They've got lots of quality for sure. But in terms of those kind of big clubs in that area, I expect Ipswich to be quite good. I, I really like their defence. Luke Wolfenden and George Edmondson are really good um, League One centre-backs and they've got quality in attack as well uh, Bersant Salina who Man City um, fans might know academy graduate there who's really good international and they've just signed Tyrese John Jules as well on loan from Arsenal so they've got lots of quality um, Ipswich and MK Dons I think uh, are two teams I really fancy from League One Yeah, Kieran McKenna made a good impact there last year second half of the season didn't he? Nick, you had your finger up Yeah, I was just going to say Barnsley are really going to be a really interesting team in League One as well Michael Duff has um, has come in as their as their manager. They've. It, it's just going to be interesting to see, as much as anything, how they've lost a, a few key players. Like Corley Woodrow's went to Luton. Um, Callum Britton has just uh, in the, I think in the last few days um, signed for Blackburn. So it, I, I'm just I'm really interested a to see how Michael Duff does there and b how they kind of cope with the the loss of um, of those kind of key players because although we have seen teams like Wickham kind of bounce around between the League One and the Championship it's uh, the old cliche it's an incredibly tough division to get out of Um, so you know I'm just very interested to see how Duff does as much as anything Yeah Andy I suppose the other impact for League One and League Two of the World Cup is the fact that they're not stopping the Championship and the Premier League is so are they going to have a lot more eyes on them during that that break while the World Cup's on, do you think there's going to be more fans looking at League One matches, League Two matches to get their football fix? You would hope so, and and that, that I think that goes down to non-league football as well. Um, it's a really good opportunity for for sort of those those clubs to build sort of relationships with maybe sort of some of the local supporters who who just you know watch Premier League football or just support Premier League teams, and and I think it will be a really good opportunity, and, and I do hope that. That you know, fans take that opportunity to go down and and, and watch you know the the local team and and sort of you know begin to to take a bigger interest because it's only going to benefit benefit the clubs and therefore benefit benefit the leagues and and I think as I mentioned, it goes all the way down to non-league. Just going to watch you know you know the team, for example, you know, Burnley Burnley United in, in the West Lancashire League, um, you know, just just teams like that from from around the country and going to give them the support. Um, and you know that that's proper footy down there. You'll see some some heavy tackles. It's fair to say. So that that type of stuff, and and that's what that's what you want to see. I think, and as football fans, and I think you, you enjoy it. That the atmosphere that you know you can get at those types of places, the welcome and friendly, um, you know, clubs, and I think that that's it's important. Hopefully, that the fan that the clubs benefits from it, and and the fans do take the opportunity while. While watching the the World Cup to to go down and you know go to these games when when they may not you know on, on when Premier League and, and Championship football is is ongoing. 
Okay, let's talk about star players then. We asked Nancy again to pick someone out from the three divisions. I'll ask you three in a moment for your picks, but first, here's Nancy with hers. Jack Rodoni's going to be um, a really exciting prospect this season. I think after last year, he uh, you know really thrived in in a Wimbledon team that, that struggled um, at times. Well, struggled for most of the season, unfortunately, and um, you know he was still able to to be a massive um, standout for them and in the in league one as a whole so um for him to get that step up to uh to Huddersfield in the championship would be really exciting especially given they're onto the playoff finals so I'd be intrigued to see one how he manages that step up um but also how he'll fit into uh into Huddersfield's way of playing and um kind of their evolution as a team after that obviously disappointment in the final um but he's a really exciting player plenty of goals in him good movement and um yeah really one to watch yeah, I'm quite interested. One team we haven't really mentioned is, is Millwall, who I think have made a, a couple of smart signings. One of them is uh, Zian Fleming, who, uh, as much as anything, I'm kind of quite interested in because he's been a bit of a sort of tran- transfer rumour mill stalwart in the championship for the last couple of years. He's been linked with a, a few teams, so I'm kind of quite interested to see um, how he does in sort of three dimensions rather than just in, um, uh, in rumour mills. Or the other one that I'm really interested in that Andy's already mentioned, and I'm probably possibly kind of stealing one of his, is Scott Twine, obviously, at Burnley. He's going to be very interesting. Um, For League One, I had a real cop-out answer, and we have already covered Derby, but I'm just really interested to see how all these players at Derby kind of fit together and whether they can keep players like like Jason Knight and Max Bird and you know some of those kind of younger players that they have brought through and did pretty well under difficult circumstances last season um, and then uh, in League 2 I, I'm not promise I'm not choosing this just for the novelty value but Carl Hudlin at, um, at AFC Wimbledon who is um, a tall man he's six foot nine I think the tallest player in uh, that has played in the, the in the football league I could be wrong about that but he I mean he, he, as well as being a large man he's quite an interesting story <laughs> he was playing he played for sort of Solihull Moors last season and it was signed by Huddersfield and then immediately loaned to to Wimbledon so it's 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 an interesting story and I'll just be really interested to see how he does with my West Brom hat on I'm really interested to see how Grady D and Garner does this season. Yeah. I mean, in when when West Brom got promoted a couple of seasons ago, he was a revelation really alongside Mateus Pereira. Um I think Bruce described him then as one of the best players in the championship and then he signed permanently um when West Brom got promoted and it kind of didn't work out for him and it since hasn't gone hasn't gone great. I mean, he's had a really good pre-season. Um he's got some a couple of assists under his belt and he looks back to himself. Um, I think I think there's been kind of a, a big focus from West Brom to try and bulk him up a little bit and try and make him more physically adept to the championship, which seems to be going well. Um, so I'm really excited to see how Grady Dean Garner does. Again, with the derby hat on also, Louis Sibley, um, I mentioned him earlier, but it's going to be really kind of interesting because, as I say, England are the 20 international. He's someone that had lots of potential and he kind of hasn't fulfilled that. Still very young, still only 21, I think. So he's still got a lot, you know, a long way in his career to go. But that's someone now who's been playing football consistently for a few years and it hasn't really gone well for him. Uh, so let's see if it works in League One. They've mentioned Scott Twine and from, from a Ben's perspective, I'm really excited to see what he does. Um, I watched a lot of, well, I've watched a lot of him and MK Dons in the last few weeks sort of to get to know him and 
sort of what he's like on the pitch, but it's actually the star I picked out um, was his best mate at MK Dons, was Harry Darling, who's, who's gone to Swansea, ball playing centre-back, you know, on the similar trajectory to, to Twine, basically. But it makes loads of sense, the move that he's made. He's gone to a you know, possession-based side. Um, he, wants, he wants to play out from the back. Uh, but also Russell Martin, a former manager, who he's worked under. So it makes loads and loads of sense. And and I'm from that perspective, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how he progresses this season because he, he you know he's got bags of ability. Um, and you know, it, hopefully him and him and Twine both both are, you know are really successful in the championship. Okay, that seems like a good place to leave it then. That's your pick of the players from each of the divisions to keep an eye on. I hope over the course of this podcast we pique your interest in previewing the new season in the Championship in League One in League Two as well. And remember to keep your eyes on the Athletics throughout the season for the best of the coverage on the EFL but for the minute thank you to Elias thank you to Andy and thank you to Nick before we go a reminder that the Athletic has been following England every step of the way all the way to the final in the Euros this summer with our daily women's football podcast so make sure you are subscribed to that ahead of Sunday and the finals of the Euros and the Athletic is of course the place to keep right up to date with all the big transfer news as well and you can subscribe now for just £1 a month head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod but enjoy the kickoff the early kickoff for the EFL season this weekend and thank you for listening we'll see you on the next one bye bye the athletic